Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Jairus Hodges. Jairus is a pastor out of Florida. Jairus, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. For sure. So, uh, Jairus, uh, our conversation is a long time in coming. I've reached out to you, I think, before I moved out to Colorado back in August. So, um, looking forward to uh, chopping up with you, man. Kind of getting getting into your story, your uh, your testimony, and and all of that. Before we kind of get into that, I want to ask you a few questions. I like to call the conversational uh, starter questions, so to speak. So uh, the first question I'd like to um, ask you and and know more about you, Jaris, is how do you start your day? Is there any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to? on most mornings and on most days? Yes. The specific and most important is reading my Bible and praying to God. Every day is the most important thing uh, in a very real way, in a very relational way with Jesus. Uh, I practically, on most days, will try and get up early and make sure I have enough time to do that before I have anything else going on in the day. Usually if my wife is in town and she's got things going on i'll try and wake up before her so that it's just me and god kind of doing our thing i kind of got my spot that i sit at our table i got my like journals and highlighter and pen and my coffee and my little bar that i have for breakfast it's kind of a little almost date that i've created and pretty much every morning is that routine okay all right so i i want to talk a little bit about uh your your time with god in the morning uh reading the bible things of that nature now uh i know kind of like a lot of people have some sort of like uh devotional uh that they like to uh you know kind of uh go through the bible with or read what is your kind of like bible time or bible study in the morning what does that specifically look like entail if you don't mind touching on that jairus for us for sure. Let me know if my wife like gets sketchy. Um, I personally, right now, I'm going through one chapter of the Old Testament, one chapter of the New Testament, and a psalm or a proverb. It depends on the season of life, but the current season of life I'm in is what I'm doing. So I get the mixture of kind of everything New Testament, a lot to do with Jesus and practical Christian life, Old Testament, the stories from the Old Testament, the principles thereof, and then psalms and proverbs, the poetic wisdom. Uh, and refreshment that that is. I also have a devotional book called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. So that's a part of everything. I actually usually open with the Oswald Devo for the day. It's almost like a little appetizer, if you will, before I get into the chapters. And then I have a journal next to me and I force myself to process what I'm reading and thinking as I do it. And I usually do that before the prayer time. Okay. Very cool, man. Uh <laughs> The next question is, what's your favorite book? Now, obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the Bible is very important to you. Uh, but let's just, for the sake of this question, because I, I am curious about uh, any other books outside of the Bible that uh, you found of value, maybe you gift often, uh, or you maybe see as a, a great resource for somebody that uh, is looking into Christianity, they're, they're They've been walking with Jesus for a long time. Uh, so outside of the Bible, are there any other books that you would recommend or that you found value in? 100%. 
Uh, I have to answer with books that are spiritual uh, in nature because I'm not like a book nerd. My wife loves fiction. So even if I just gave a normal human answer, it would have to be something like spiritual because like, I don't like fiction. Um, two books that come to mind in my my personal life, which might not be necessarily what I would tell someone depending on where they're at in life. Uh, one is Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis was like an atheist that became a Christian and is very smart, for lack of better terms. So the way that he delves into the nature of Christianity and God and the Bible is very challenging and refreshing and uh, perspective giving. So I have a school of ministry for young adults and part of their program is going through that book because it was so meaningful to me. Another one is The Case for Christ which is a guy that wasn't a Christian and went out to prove against Jesus and use his resources to do it as a journalist, but turned out to get so much evidence for Jesus and his resurrection, particularly that he became a Christian. So that added a tangible wealth of evidence that was just so exciting for me because I so legitimately believe in Jesus as uh, as he kind of outlined all of his detailed work, like a, like a court case, it was so exciting to learn specific things about Jesus and his resurrection that just continued to build the faith that I already had. Hmm. Super cool. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I don't know, maybe I read the case for Christ when I was a, a, a kid, but definitely, uh, you know, two authors, two books that I've heard of that are, that are very, uh, very popular out there. Now let's go back really quick to, uh, uh, the, uh, devotional that, that you, uh, kind of start your morning time with God, uh, my utmost for, uh, his highest. Is that what it's called? Correct. Okay. Uh, I've, I've heard of that one. Uh, and I've heard a lot of people that, um, use that devotional. What do you find to be kind of, uh, you know, valuable specifically about that devotional or why is that maybe devotional so popular with, uh, Christians? Uh, the Wi-Fi glitched a little bit. You asked, why is it so popular basically like what's what's legit about it yeah um so this one specifically is a guy that uh, pastored and taught for a while and his wife when he passed away actually took things that he had studied written and preached and created the actual devotional from his teachings uh that's kind of cool because i mean for me personally it's not just a person that's trying to write directly towards you which is cool for devotionals but it takes it takes an aspect of rawness um it doesn't you know it doesn't feel like someone's trying to write just to just to pump you up it, it literally is his wife being like hey look at my husband's example and the things that encouraged him and inspired him um and it kind of it, at least for me is it kind of opens it up to be more personalized towards me between me and god um even though it is through the human that wrote it or at least wrote the things that are in there it's short it's uh just a one-page thing so that's easy to be popular, popular amongst people that it's a condensed, um, juicy, if you will, piece of encouragement or theology. This one particularly is a little bit more on the theological encouragement side. There are some other ones that are kind of more basic encouragement, a little bit more just emotional uplifting that, that are really good for some people. This one is kind of has that like CS Lewis tone just a little bit because he doesn't just encourage and challenge based off of the things that are in there. He uh, he expounds on 
uh, his thoughts and revelations from his experience in life about God and the way that God works, the way that his spirit works, the way that we should think about certain aspects of Christianity. So there's that kind of theological um, thinking tone is mixed with it. And for me, I, again, with the students on the school of ministry I have here, they have to read that as a part of their program uh, because a lot of the things that are in there are not just emotionally uplifting, which is totally legit and cool, but also like directly teaching as far as principles and practical things from scripture and Christian life that I think is good for any Christian. I think it's good for any Christian, whether new or been a Christian for a while, but I would say something like, uh, I don't know many other devos I could talk about. Jesus calling is another famous diva that a lot of people like, but my almost for his highest is good for someone that's new, but it also specifically, I think is good for someone that's been a Christian for a while, because there's some things that he says and thoughts that he has that challenge your perspectives in, in ways that you haven't thought about before. You're like, Oh, like that's a very creative way to say that. That helps me to process my life with God uh, more differently, but it's not too much. It's just one page of it. So it, it really does become kind of a, it's like a message, you know, you have someone that hears all that they give a whole sermon and, let's say it's 45 minutes of a sermon and it's a really encouraging and good teaching from the word somewhere. But there's like a 30 second clip where, where someone's teaching and it's just like a really anointed condensed piece. Like what you would grab for a reel on social media, you know, that's what a Devo book is kind of like. It's kind of like reels one reel at a time. And especially this one, it's like a condensed thing that his wife got from a certain portion of his teaching that was kind of like that hot spot, that real sweet spot. Um, so it's really juicy and really exciting. And um, it's not like you're reading Leviticus and trying to figure out what the heck is meaningful about that. Like it's almost like reading James, which is just like AK 47 of wisdom yeah. uh, every day. So that's why I like it. And I think that's why other people like it too. It's, it's provoking for thoughts and perspectives um, and it's really condensed. Very cool. Love that. Uh, Jairus. Okay. Um, in recent times, within the last year, what life lesson have you been taught uh, or have you learned? So oh, many. Geez. Maybe in the last month. Is that a better question? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think if I keep going more recently, I actually just came from therapy before this interview. And I was talking with my guy about um, I'm currently transitioning to take over the church for my dad. And we have a fairly large church. And um my dad's been the pastor ever since I was born. So a lot of history. Um, so it's a big thing for my life and uh, it's hard to balance the stress of it. And I'm a very anxious person in general. It's like my number one daily struggle. Uh, so it affects my relationship with my wife and with being a pastor, trying to manage the anxiety for everything in general. So a lot of lessons about that recently, trying to prepare for taking over for my dad Um trying to just be a normal human and love Jesus more importantly than be obsessed with uh, church things uh, in a religious way or, or more importantly than being obsessed with just managing things. A couple of weeks ago, I had a big breakdown with my wife. First one I've had in a long time um, where we, she said some things that came up from, it's usually like a small thing will come up and then the, the spouse might say something but it's really actually getting at some deeper things. And I could smell that. I was like, oh my goodness, you're saying some things. We got to talk. And because uh, I kind of hurt her and rubbed her the wrong way with the way I was reacting to something. Um, and like two or three hours later of us talking through things, God bless her gracious soul, 
being there for me. It ended with me having a really big breakdown and crying and um, just telling her that I'm happy with her and I love her and uh, apologizing for slipping back into obsessing over the standard of perfection. Uh, such a good motive to like manage things in my life and, and a good motive to manage my anxiety and um, and do a good job with my work and my marriage and all these things. But I have a tattoo that reminds me that it's faithfulness over perfection. So I guess it's a good answer to your question because that's that's a lesson I learned a long time ago, but it's one that I knew I would have to be reminded of, hence the tattoo. And that came back up again a couple of weeks ago where I realized I slipped back into being so obsessed with good motive of managing the things in my life, but I I crossed the line into the arrogance of expecting perfection. So I'm not going to be satisfied unless I perfectly control everything. I'm not going to be satisfied unless the church is set up perfectly and my team is set up perfectly and, and I'm balancing all of that with my marriage and I'm um, balancing my anxieties and stuff instead of just letting loose and giving God control and not trying to be Jesus. Um, so I was refreshed in that lesson again a couple of weeks ago and um, I was encouraged by my therapist today, just giving me perspective and reminding me that uh, all of that comes from my insecurities and insecurity about failure specifically. And he was encouraging and reminding me today that failure as a person is just being a human and not being God, not being Jesus, not being the Holy Spirit. But it's actually a good thing. Not that failure is like a good thing because technically anything imperfect would be sin, but it's a good thing in the sense of it's an expected thing and reminding me that just because I'm going to fail in all things that I'm stressed about not failing in, I'm going to fail. And that's part of the process that God's going to use to grow me. And that doesn't mean that I'm a failure. And that was a huge reminder for me today that I can chill out again and keep moving forward and have a little bit more trust in God about everything in my life and be ready to fail, not be too stressed about not failing with this next season of my life, but understand that uh, I will fail and I got to be faithful. And that's the more important thing, not be perfect, but be faithful with Jesus and know that he's the one in control and he's the one that's supposed to get the credit and he's the one that's going to have my back. And uh, it doesn't mean that I'm a failure just because I'm going to fail. If I'm faithful to Jesus, he's got my back. It's a huge thing in my life for the last handful of years. So I came back up recently as well. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, uh, one of the reasons why I, I was really looking forward to this conversation, one of the reasons, Jairus, that I actually reached out to you initially, first of all, we'll, we'll kind of get into the skateboarding stuff. Uh, I've been podcasting for over five years. I've never had anybody really into skateboarding on the podcast, and I've never had a pastor uh, on in, on any of my podcasts. And uh, you know, uh, you know, I'm I, I'm a disciple of Jesus myself. Uh, my faith is something that's uh, very uh, important to me. It's it's everything to me. Uh, but this isn't a, a Christian uh, podcast, right? I I bring on all kinds of people just to have conversations, right? Um, but since you're on here, uh, and, and you are, uh, you know, I don't use, I don't like to use the word Christian just because it's, uh, there's a lot of connotation to that word in our culture, but because you're a disciple of Jesus, I want to ask you, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, seeing a therapist now, uh, the church that, uh, your dad pastors that you're getting ready to take over, um, is a Calvary chapel. Is that correct? It is. Okay. So, uh, you know, I was a part of a Calvary chapel in my twenties, uh, oversaw the outreach ministry. 
you know, been out to California, uh, to the missions conferences at different times uh, in my 20s, uh, you know, for, for the Calvary Chapel Missions Conference. So um, I'm very familiar with Calvary Chapel and, and uh, you know, was spent a lot of my 20s in a Calvary Chapel in South Dakota. And not just with Calvary Chapel, but with a lot of, uh, I'll call it conservative Christian uh, churches, uh, denominations, however you want to word all that stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of people in those settings that would look down at uh, therapy, uh, anything to do with psychology, uh, things of that nature. I kind of want to get your perspective on therapy, on psychology, what does that look like in terms of somebody that would call themselves a Christian or somebody who is walking with Jesus? Yeah, great question. Very common question. My personal opinion is uh, therapy is in the group of many subjects that um, are kind of gray. I think uh, there are people that might have reasons why they don't like therapy and kind of get scared of the word. And I don't trip about that. You know, if it bothers them, my opinion is, you know, all things to all men, do your thing. Um, not really all things to all men. It's a misquote. Um, the conscience, the scriptures in Romans and Corinthians about, um, you know, enjoying what you believe is fine and giving thanksgiving for it. Uh, and that was in the context of food, but also the principle for all things. Um, another great example would be like Harry Potter. A lot of people really don't like Harry Potter but there are some Christians that don't have an issue with it. So I put therapy in kind of that boat that I think there could be arguments on both sides. And I think it matters more about the conscience that an individual has that if, if that, if therapy and psychology really messes with you because of your background, or maybe because you've been abused in that area in your life, which a lot of people have. Um, and a lot of church stuff has gotten really some weird experiences with that stuff too. If it trips you out, don't do it. But scripturally, if it is kind of a great category, if you will, that it's something that people should agree to disagree on and not trip out. Um, Harry Potter is an example that I personally think people can agree to disagree on. But you'll have Christians that are really, really adamant, like it's witchcraft. And to even discuss it is satanic and demonic and demonic wisdom and super sketch. I think it's something we can agree to disagree on. Um, rock style music and full bands inside of a church is another great example um yeah a lot of a lot of examples like that so i put it in that my personal opinion on it is that i think it can be helpful in the right context uh the way that i've dealt with it in my own personal life it probably is the best way to answer how i think about it that it's such a it's such a unique situational subject because of the variables Therapy is therapy and psychology, psychologist versus psychiatrist. You know, those are two different things. When someone's trying to get help, I think that it's valid to, to give credit for professionals that have spent chunks of their life to learn how to help people in certain aspects. So you do the same thing medically. A lot of people that have done medical professions in order to help people with their physical body. And you've had people that have studied anything that we've learned that I believe is ultimately from God's creation about how the brain works and how the body is connected to the brain. And um, especially if you add a spiritual aspect to that, that you could believe that there's a spiritual connection to the physical things, which I believe there is. Uh, so I think in the right context, 
somebody that has specifically studied how to help someone walk through the battles in the mind could be a great help if the person is, of course, in a healthy context. I don't think by definition, if a Christian's like, should I do therapy, that they are satanic if they get a non-Christian to help them with therapy. Uh, I do think that it would be more beneficial because if you're trying to get someone to help you, you think through mental struggles uh, and the connection with meaningful things in life, then having a, a foundation that's the same would be helpful. So if the therapist is a foundation of Christianity, trying to talk to a Christian to help a Christian, I think that would be more helpful. However, my personal opinion is if there's a non-Christian therapist that can really just help even a Christian with their brain, let me let you talk to me about all the things you're thinking and let me give you some thoughts on, hey, well, this could be connected to that. And maybe you could be thinking this because of this. Um, I think that could still be a helpful option for someone, but I think it really matters to each person's individual conscience. And I think that's scriptural to do it. I personally wanted someone that was a male uh, and I wanted someone that was older. I wanted someone that was a Christian themselves, but I didn't want Christian therapy, which in and of itself in the world of therapy is different. Are you going to, or is someone going to therapy in almost like a life coach type of way where I'm going to tell you about my life and I want you to specifically tell me what to do in my life. I wanted someone that was going to suggest things to help me with my life, but more so in like baseline therapy, respond to things that I'm saying, throw out questions and throw out thoughts that could help me to better piece things together and better manage the struggles in my mind. And um, I searched until I found a person that could do that. That's what works for me. Um, I don't think that's the end all be all because every human being is different. There's another whole world of conversation I won't get into unless you really want to. Um, but just to generally say it, that the conversation itself is vastly different depending on if someone might actually need not just a human being talking to them to help them, but actually might need something to adjust the chemicals in their body. I believe that that is biblically sound. I think when you look at the Bible and the way it describes God creating us and the fall of man and sin's uh, effect on the world and the human body and the brain and the way that Christianity actually is spoken about in the New Testament, I think it makes sense. Our bodies are broken. We've fallen. Sin has cursed us. That's why humans die and humans have imperfections. The big question of why and suffering and all that is a separate thing, but just to acknowledge there's imperfections and we don't know how to perfectly deal with it. Um, why not use any resource available in order to help uh, better align yourself to what is truth? My personal opinion is all truth is guided from and ultimately leads to God. So I think that regardless of who it is, if we're just trying to help someone manage things in their life, manage their mind and their emotions, ultimately, if it works and if it's if it's good and productive, it's rooted in truth. I think technically a non-Christian person could help a non-Christian person become more of what the Bible says a Christian should be because they're going to say, hey, this is not healthy for you. But I think that's ultimately rooted in God, which is why I don't trip about it. Um, but I utilize it specifically. So on the exact opposite end, someone that's a Christian could get help from a professional in discussing things 
um, that are ultimately rooted in the truths that God created, or maybe they really need medication to help because there is a broken system that you're living within inside of your brain or inside of your body. Um, and that's a lot to work through. So my, my, my opinion about how to deal with it would be follow the conscience. If your conscience is seared and just, it just messes with your mind too much. Um, don't judge others, others, if they're trying to do it with their own integrity, if you feel like you're open to it, be open to it and do it in a way that you think, uh, is biblical and will draw you closer to God. Um, and I think, uh, Yeah, I'll probably just go ahead and stop there. I that's a good enough answer for you. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Now, one other thing I want to touch on before we uh, wrap up the uh, conversational starter questions, Jairus, uh, you mentioned anxiety. Um, talk to me about when uh, that kind of became uh, apparent in your life. And it sounds like it's something you're still working through and struggling with. Again, however you want to word all of that. Uh and I would love to have you speak to um, people out there that might have questions of like, you know, I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, uh, my life was going to be, you know, everything was going to be good. Everything was going to be perfect. Uh, my anxiety, my depression, my alcoholism, all of my struggles were going to be taken away uh, in terms of this life. So talk to me about your anxiety, if you don't mind, please. And then talk about maybe some of those people that have some confusion or questions about giving their life to Jesus. And why do I still struggle with anxiety? Why does this pastor that I'm listening to on this podcast, uh, who knows God has given his life to Jesus Christ still struggle with anxiety? Uh, would you touch on those, uh, questions, please? 100%. Um, that's the other thing I almost said and didn't just for just to keep the conversation going, but it relates to the question. Um, when talking about therapy and dealing with the mind um, versus dealing with the body and the connections thereof, but the Bible itself, and, and a lot of people I don't think know this because a lot of people just don't read the Bible and have opinions about it without reading it, uh, Christians included, they got to study it. The Bible really is very mental health focused, which is helpful for our society where mental health has become a lot more normalized a lot more people in the last few years and, and increasingly uh the the generation especially below me i'm 28 so especially gen z and below but millennials as well um in alignment with the tech world there's been an increase in the severe mental struggles anxiety stress depression suicide self-harm uh so i've dealt with thousands of young people that have had it my own personal struggle is anxiety more than anything else. And the scripture is very focused on the mind, which I'll get into with the encouragement that you asked me to, to go into for myself. I was addicted to porn for about six years. And it was during my middle and high school time. And it, it really uh, almost ruined me. Um, my, testimonial part of that is that that god spoke to me and i believe god put a virus on my computer as kind of a way to say hey you need to nip this in the butt before it wrecks your life because i just started dating my first ever actual girlfriend so i did i went cold turkey and that girlfriend ended up becoming my now wife of almost nine years um total miraculous story but also worked my butt off 
Um, to kind of get into what you asked about other people, like becoming a Christian, the Bible doesn't say that you become a Christian and there's no work to do. It actually says the opposite. But for me, uh, I believe that my anxiety begun or began and, and increased after porn because I had spent so many years in a world of hiding a, a sin, something that wasn't good, wasn't godly, wasn't healthy for me. And then when I finally went cold turkey, it was almost like withdrawals, which the secular world knows the full well that porn is literally a drug. So I had uh, withdrawals, per se, that turned into anxiety for the first six months coming off of porn. I uh, was so freaked out about not thinking something sexual that was wrong. I became obsessed with not thinking about it. I call it the pink elephant effect. If you tell someone, don't think about, about a pink elephant, they think about it. So I learned a lesson. Don't don't do the pink elephant effect. And I learned that the only way to fight this new anxiety that was growing was don't tell yourself, don't think about a pink elephant all day. You have to just think about something else. Don't not think about porn because you're only thinking about porn. But it was like six months of freaking out like that. So it, it kind of built this huge brain of anxiety. And then um, I feel like Jesus taught me the lesson just to focus on him and very literally focus on him. And that began the healing of my porn past, but also the process of how to manage my anxiety. Uh, I don't understand it fully. I think that the post porn was a huge start of it, but for the last 10 years since, as I've grown as an adult and grown now as a pastor and being a pastor is kind of a gnarly job. You're kind of like walking through everyone's gnarly life. Um, that becomes a lot to manage as well. Um, it's kind of like a therapist, but According to our beliefs, I'm literally like walking through life with someone in a in a way that really connects us at the soul. Like a therapist is like, it's not really like you have a, a responsibility over my soul, but as a pastor, you do. The Bible says you have a responsibility to shepherd and to lead. So I think that the anxiety has been harder to manage or increasingly hard to manage, not only coming off from porn, but working in the church ministry and being a pastor and so the last 10 years have been trying to learn how to, to how to manage it. Um, some relatable examples is just that uh, I could wake up on any given day and for no particular reason, um, just be crazy anxious, be, be fearful about something for no real good reason, but I actually feel it. Like I feel like something's wrong. Um, I don't know what's wrong, but something is wrong. Something's going to be wrong or what I did was wrong. Uh, it's connected to things that I've done. It's connected about fears of the future. Sometimes it just pops up and I feel like an incredible amount of it for no particular reason. Sometimes my lifestyle is not as healthy, so I don't manage it well. So I feel it more often when I manage it more often, I feel it less often. And, uh, it takes hard work to do that, which I'll get into, but I know what it's like to feel like there's a hurricane going on in my mind. I know what it's like to feel like there's, there's like 17 tornadoes inside of that hurricane. And, when you start growing in your mind of anxiety, you start thinking I'm anxious about this. And then you get really anxious about something else and something else. And then you're anxious about being anxious about those three things. And then you're anxious about being anxious about being anxious about those three things. And then you can't think straight. And then your mind's moving a million miles an hour. And, and you just, you feel like you're, you're in a crowd full of people screaming and no one's paying any attention to you. You feel alone. You feel crazy. Like very literally, I thought that I was psychologically losing it at one point. Um, and it's nuts. So I relate to anyone on that particular struggle for that. Um, 
and the encouragement to people that that struggle with it or anything for that matter. When you become a Christian, kind of back what I was saying earlier, like non-Christians or Christians, if you're gonna if you're gonna actually have an opinion about Christianity or Jesus, you have to have an educated one. That's the same for anything. People that think that you become a Christian and not going to struggle with things in life are just people that don't know what the Bible says. Like the actual message of Christianity is God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins and give you eternal life. If you believe in that and accept that and ask and repent from your sins and turn away and follow Jesus and receive his forgiveness, your sins are paid for and you get eternal life. That's like the gospel. That's the most important thing. But what does a scripture, what does the Bible actually say? And that's our, uh, our scripture is our DNA. That's what we believe. We believe it's God's word. So what does that say about the Christian life? What does Jesus himself say about the Christian life? And he says, he literally promises, this is going to be a hard life. He promises things like, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Uh, he promises that people are going to hate you and you're going to be persecuted just for being a Christian, let alone the regular sufferings in life. But he promises that he's going to be there. He promises that will endure difficult things, but he's also endured difficult things. And uh, if they hated me, they're going to hate you first and all these things. And then not just the four gospels or the stories of Jesus where we get the, the account of him saying these things into the New Testament, which are letters that are basically teaching people how to be Christians and how to have church and do it right. It gets into a lot of mental health things. Um, and sets the expectations that we're going to struggle for the rest of our life. Christianity is you're going to struggle like the non-Christians going to struggle, except you have hope and you have help. That's the huge difference. You're still going to endure times where you're going to doubt God. You're going to be angry at God. You're going to have questions that don't have answers. You're not going to understand. You might still have to figure out how to manage and fight against your depression or your insecurities, your, uh, your addictions, your anger, your lack of forgiveness, but like all these things, anything you could struggle with suddenly has meaning and purpose. And this is the way that the Bible would kind of explain it. When you become a Christian, it's not that all of your struggles are taken away. It's that all of your struggles are given purpose and given meaning. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that everything inherently has meaning and purpose. A lot of non-Christians will say that. And even Christians will say like everything happens for a reason. But the scripture doesn't say everything happens for a reason. It says that when you turn everything to God, God will give it reason and meaning and purpose. Romans 8, 28 is a famous verse for that. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So then you take your anxiety to God, to Jesus. You take your depression to him, your addictions, any struggles you have. I mean, you name it. And you see what does Jesus say about it? You see what, what his word, the scripture says about it. You see how he says de uh, to deal with it. And you very literally start walking in a relationship with God, Jesus himself, and he begins to help you overcome the struggles in your life. The point is that through that, your life has purpose because your life is now handed over to Jesus and other people can see the miraculous work of Jesus in your life. The point is not that you don't struggle. It's that you struggle well and struggle with purpose. So then you have to go to the Bible and see what does the Bible say about my struggle and talk to Jesus and say, what do you say about my struggle and surrender that struggle and your desire to control that struggle to him. And that's the most general way I could say it before getting any deeper is that's the way the Bible describes the Christian life. You take everything to Jesus. You have to surrender all of it to him and see what he says and how he's going to guide you to help uh, alleviate, uh, but more so give purpose into it. And eventually 
he does. He does promise that he will help us to grow in our struggles. There are addictions that we can break. There are sins that we can stop doing by the power of God's spirit as we obey Jesus and his word. And um, there's growth in practical regular life struggles like dealing with stress and anxiety and uh, depression and things like that. There can be a day where you don't watch porn ever again. You don't slit your wrists ever again. Um, you know, you're not sleeping around with prostitutes and things like that. Like you become more and more like God intended you to be. So you will still struggle until you die. But some of the major sins that um, people become addicted to and, and kind of engulf your life can be alleviated completely as you surrender it to Jesus. And then the rest of your life is going through the normal struggle. One good example uh, to finish with is one of the guys that wrote a lot of the New Testament. His name is Paul. He literally has a section where he's like, I'm I'm like a schizo. Like the things that I don't want to do are the things that I do. And the things I do want to do are the things I don't do. And he's like, I'm tripping out. I'm freaking out, which is exactly what I, I've just said I dealt, dealt with another two weeks ago. Like I'm freaking out because I'm trying to like, have everything be taken away or I'm trying to control everything, but that's not the point. The point is not that we become God. Every other religion is, is works-based or you become God. No, with Jesus, it's like, you're still going to struggle, but you're going to struggle with me and I'm going to be there for you. And I'm going to shine through your life. So you're going to be saved and I'm going to use you to help other people get saved. And then when it's all over, it's actually going to be worth it because we're going to party for eternity in heaven. That's going to be the best thing ever. Cool. Love it. All right. Um, the last question in terms of the conversational questions is, do you have a favorite quote, mantra, or word? But I would like to ask you, uh, do you have like a favorite uh, a book of the Bible, favorite Bible verse? Uh, I think that is a better question uh, for our conversation, Jeros. I don't really know what my favorite Bible verse is. Um, one that's really spoken to me recently i have a new tattoo about it it's uh it's a tattoo of mountains with some birds in the corner from one of the psalms where it says it's quoting god talking and he says i know the birds in the mountains that's one that's just been refreshing to me recently um in the midst of my struggle with anxiety and being a control freak and like actually trusting god with my whole life and all the details within that verse meant a lot to me. My wife and I travel a lot. We love traveling all over the world. We love the mountains. So being in some of the most beautiful places in the world and some of the biggest, most beautiful mountain ranges in the world and being reminded from a verse, every bird that flies in the mountain ranges that nobody sees and nobody knows about, I know that bird. I take care of that bird. It's kind of like what Jesus said. Don't worry about your life. It's funny about anxiety. <laughs> Don't worry about your life. He says, uh, I take care of the birds. And take care of uh, I dress the flowers so don't worry about your life and and be able to trust me with it so that's been a really refreshing one for me because it's very poetic very beautiful and God is very poetic and uh feel feel very freshly close to him with perspective about him and life when I'm in the mountains another uh, probably at least one good one to say is uh, in a funny but very serious way is full send as like a slogan for my life that comes from being a skateboarder. If you're at the skate park, uh, skateboarding community is one of the best communities in the world. If someone's trying a trick, it really doesn't matter what the trick is. But if someone's trying a trick and everyone else at the park sees you just fighting for that trick and they they encourage you, 
and they'll tell you send it, which is kind of like go for it. And they'll tell you full send, which is like with everything you got, man, really go for this trick and really try and land this. And uh, it's kind of a motto for life. Uh, Kobe Bryant's been a huge inspiration, the mama mentality of full send of just like have integrity, actually give everything you have to to do the best you can and make the most of life. I believe that making the most of life is fulfilled in Jesus. Um, and I believe the slogan kind of sounds almost secular in a sense, but again, is rooted in truth that there's an aspect of life where we just, we got to give everything we have in order to really live out our purpose. Again, I think if you give everything you have to Jesus, that's how you fulfill it. But when you're with Jesus, then all the time I'm screaming with the homies around here, full send, yo, hey, full send. There's no half send. We just full send. So that's a slogan that is often a part of my life. I don't think I'm going to get it tattooed under my face, but I think about it often. <laughs> Love it, man. Um, okay. I want to kind of transition into a little bit more of talking about your childhood and your upbringing. Obviously, you mentioned your dad being a pastor. So that means you're a PK, a pastor's kid. Uh, my dad actually is a PK. So I've been able to see um, the choices that he's made in his life with that type of an upbringing. Um, I've been around a lot of PKs and, and missionary kids and um, from conversations that I've had with them, from personal observations, uh, I think it can be uh, uh, very tough uh, growing up in, 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 in that um, vein, so to speak, or that light. So talk about where you actually grew up, Jairus. Uh, talk about, um, you know, what was your life like being a PK? When did you get into skateboarding? And uh, just kind of paint that picture for us up to about the high school years. And then we'll kind of transition from there. Yeah, I grew up in St. Petersburg, Florida, born and raised. I'm still here, still pastoring here. My dad pastored a Calvary Chapel church. Um, if anybody doesn't know that, at all there's a new movie that came out called jesus revolution it's a kind of about the start of those churches so he had one of those churches that he pastored uh he's he did for about 35 years until there was a church uh, which i'll get to later but i grew up in that of him slowly watching his church grow so when i grew up as a kid in the church it was a church of about four thousand people which is huge and I have three other siblings, two older brothers and one younger sister. And it definitely was a unique, weird world and kind of hard because uh, sometimes church people are the worst people. Uh, sometimes they're the most judgmental. And uh, it's it's kind of like sometimes it's kind of like watching politics on TV. Sometimes that's what church is like. And so for for kids in leadership, especially the main guys, kids, it definitely is a struggle for a lot of PKs, uh, guys and girls that have grown up with their dad being the main guy or something, something along those lines or any leader for that matter, because everyone is looking for wrong things in the church and a lot of judgment and um, unhealthy stupidity happens from people just being political. So that's where the struggle comes in general. It's where it came for me, for sure. My siblings and I lived our lives and grew up doing our thing, but always kind of had a magnifying glass from everyone else. And there's a lot of humans. So the magnifying glass is pretty sharp. Um, my brother, my oldest brother started skating. I'm pretty sure because of Tony Hawk's pro skater uh, video game. And he started doing like Rodney Mullen stuff outside. My next brother started skating as well, but he was like kind of a surfer style. 
And I started skating because they started skating. So I started when I was five years old watching them and grew up uh, until my teens, until I drove and became more independent. And then we just kept skating on my own. I grew up skating around them, watching them. So I kind of got two different styles of skateboarding because they were two different styles. Um, eventually they leaned off skating and didn't continue, but I kept on going. Uh, when I talk about my life, I usually describe I grew up in the skate park and in the church um, and the beach, but especially the skate park and uh, public school as well. And I think that really helped to kind of bring a balance of normality of like not being um, there's pros and cons of homeschool versus public school. But that plus the skate park itself really helped me to experience the rawness of the world. And it's kind of a make or break thing. Most pastors, kids will struggle inside of the bubble of the church. And eventually it'll, it'll trip them out either, either because uh, usually because people are too judgmental and, and it stresses them out um, or maybe their parents struggle with being married more to the ministry than they are to being a good father or mother. Um, but usually it's because of that tight bubble that a lot of PKs will dip out from Christianity so I was brought with that challenge, not just from church people being church people. And sometimes that's not the nicest and easiest. The skate park was like no posers. That's the whole thing about skateboarding. There's no posers. And everybody knows that. everybody hates fake people. But skate park, there's 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 black or white. Like you, you're either you love skating and that's what makes you a skater. Not that you're good, that you love it or you're out like or you at least appreciate it. But there's no you can't. You can't come in and act like you're a skater and get away with it. So it taught me, uh, it taught me the, that principle. Also, the resilience that skateboarding teaches you really helped me growing up and kind of developing character because skateboarding teaches resilience for for kids uh, falling and failing and getting back up and doing it all over again. And the community of like christian community should be like this you can go to any skate park in the world and if you just ride a skateboard around event you immediately have friends um i loved that community and i grew up in that and uh that really helped i think that really helped balance out some of the stresses that i had amongst my siblings as well growing up in not just a church as pks but in a huge church um in addition to that i more than my siblings began to be involved in the church they were all involved in the church a little bit and eventually veered off for like actually doing ministry stuff. I continue to do that uh, into my teenage years in high school, serving with like the youth group. And then right up until right after I graduated, I ended up getting my first job at the church at the kids care. And then shortly after, like I worked to uh, clean toilets, but shortly after I got a job doing music for the middle school. And ever since then has been the growth in actually working in the ministry, but uh, that was a unique, weird challenge for me. It was not only growing up in the environment like that, but working in it and beginning working in it as the son of the guy who's in charge. Um, and the rest of like the last handful of years has been me now as an adult living in that. Okay. Um, what What was you mentioned kind of like the, the church, uh, like politics, um, and just, you know, how some, uh, are you still there? Can you hear me, Jairus? I hear you right now. Yeah, I got you. Okay, cool, cool. Um, so you mentioned kind of like the, the church politics and, 
you know how sometimes church people are uh i mean for you personally from your own personal experiences growing up in the church like what was what was what was something or what were some of the things that kind of like you saw as a kid or a teen or in your early 20s and you're like man like that's not jesus like that's not that's not the christianity that we read about in the bible and how did you kind of overcome that because I, I talk to people all the time, like before I moved out here, um, you know, I got a, I got a tattoo from a girl uh, whose dad is still the pastor at the Calvary Chapel in South Dakota that I was a part of for quite a few years, you know, and she, she, she has nothing to do with God to this day. Same thing with my dad. He, he wants nothing to do with God. Uh, he grew up in the church and all that stuff. Uh, I talk to people all the time that maybe they, they aren't PKs or they weren't PKs but they grew up going to youth group. They grow, grew up going to a, a Christian church. And I, I think uh, a lot of people have a bad taste of all of that in their mouth and causes, I, I believe Satan uses a lot of that to uh, pull people away from Jesus. So how did you kind of overcome that? And and what are some of those things that you actually saw that you're like, man, that's, that isn't right. It's a hard question to answer because uh, it's so situational. But any any way that the only way that anyone can get disconnected from the political sketchy aspects of church is by being intimately involved with Jesus himself. That's if you do anything other than that, you're always going to trip out. But you're not going to trip if you actually meet Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, because that's what Christianity claims. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what we believe the God of the universe cares more about than anything is actually a relationship with us and making that possible through Jesus. So anyone that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, they're never going to be able to deal with the imperfections of humans in a church. And there's a laundry list of imperfections in general. It's kind of a classic saying that church is not a uh, museum of fine art humans. It's like a hospital of a bunch of crazy homies that like, for the most part, realized their rock bottom and gave their life to Jesus. So even the Bible uses the terminology that when you become a Christian, you become like you become born again. Spiritually, you become a new person. And that means you become a baby. So the scriptures talk about how you got to get baby food and then you get um, stronger, more mature food. You go from milk to cookies to steak. But that means that with babies, in the words of my dad, with babies, there's poopy diapers. So I would start with making sure that I defend the church um, scripturally and from my experience, because I experienced a lot of good things about church. Um, first of all, growing up, I experienced a lot of good community, a lot of people that poured into me. Uh, it was a community. Ultimately, that's what everyone wants. We're trying to find a community at my gym or at my office or at a church or whatever. So it provided that for me. The skate park became an extra community as well, but a lot of my friends came from church. A lot of family that's not family, but family came from church. And um, man, it was so healthy and so awesome to have growing up. I had people I could talk to about my life. I had people pouring into me. I had a fun place to go and hang out. I had people to hang out with on Friday night and like all my friends to go and watch movies at their house and just go be stupid and be teenagers. Um, and I had a church that taught the Bible. It's not the most normal thing, but our church did. And that was really healthy in my personal experience. 
Um, for the most part, like having an environment that is not abusive was my experience. A lot of the people at my church were not abusive of spiritual authority or, or abusive of scripture, abusive of spiritual ideas. Um, however, in my experience of learning and also traveling and pastoring for a while, I know that that's not the case. In my personal experience, I had a lot of good stuff that happened up until our church split, which is a whole separate story. But I know that in general, a lot of what people experience that's bad is... Um, yeah, it's just it's just things that are ultimately not what's in the Bible. Ultimately, everything boils down to this is not what the Bible says people are supposed to act like. And the Bible specifically gives guidelines for how the church is supposed to be. So if, if anything is jacked up that someone says this is wrong and the church is stupid for this, if it's in the Bible, then they're correct. But people have a laundry list of reasons why they'll run away from church or run, run away from God. You could grow up in the church and... Um, one thing that's classic that's like, this is not Jesus, is uh, it being shoved down your throat. People that are PKs or just grow up in the church. Um, a very common not Jesus thing is shoving Christianity down your throat and being way too overprotective and bubbling up people from anything that's even remotely not sounding Christian or not biblical or not godly or whatever. Um, when you get too obsessed with that, you create kind of I almost I almost say cult, but that's a really heavy word. So I'm not trying to be like uh, degrading on church in general, but it kind of gets like culty, um, which is why a lot of people got hurt because a lot of churches do kind of get like that. And some do become like for sure culty. I've had experiences with churches and organizations that were cults, um, but like some of the principles that create a cult rub you the wrong way when it's just like uh, it becomes more about what I say than about what God says. It becomes more about my opinion than God's opinion. I'm going to tell you what I think about the Bible and I'm going to shove it down your throat and you better, you better believe this and you better understand this. And like, if you don't, then, you know, you're going to burn in hell. There's a level at, there's a level of doing that that needs to be loving and gracious. And a lot of church experience doesn't have a lot of love and grace in pumping the teachings of the Bible. A lot of churches don't pump the teachings of the Bible. Uh, they make up their own things that are ultimately not in the Bible. And true Christianity is things that are in the Bible. So a lot of people have church hurt from um, things being shoved down the throat too much. That's not Jesus. That's not how he did it. That's not what he wants. Um, from unbiblical things where like, man, so much, so much pain and people run away from church because a leader uh, said something to try and influence their life to do something that's ultimately was like not healthy, really sketchy or worse and very common did something to someone personally hurt someone in an emotional way, in a physical way with spiritual stuff, um, controlling and manipulative. And most of the time that someone runs away from church, there's a whole section of like people running away from church because they're running away from God. So if we kind of take care of that, like if people don't want church, some people just don't want God because God says, hey, you're a sinner. Like you need to surrender your life. And people just don't like that. It's offensive. The cross is offensive. But if we talk about reasons why the church is being sketchy and not being like Jesus, uh, shoving it down their throat, not being biblical. And um, and ultimately, most of it, most of the stories of anyone that you probably ever known or could ever have a reason for running away from church is not going to be 
because of something the Bible said or something about Jesus, it's usually going to be that someone in the church did something really, really jacked up. And two options are, are more common in those scenarios. One option is it happened to the person themselves. Uh, everything from uh, abuse, like life coach, but on steroids in an abusive way to try and control your life, um, all the way to literal physical abuse and molestation and stuff like that. Um, emotional betrayal on people and their families. Uh, that's like, it literally happened to you. And then they think because it happened to you, because this imperfect person did something. I don't say it lightly, but I do say it bluntly that like, they suddenly think that just because this imperfect person did something that's wrong, that suddenly that means that God's wrong or the, or the Bible is wrong or church is wrong. And that's just not the case. That logically doesn't make any sense. And it wouldn't be the case with anyone else. It's like if a skater came and acted like a total jerk, like told everyone to, they, they can, they can, they can forget it, like cussing people out and being a jerk to everyone and being like a cool cat, like real skateboarding. Nobody likes that. If you try and come to a skate park and act like a total punk, and tell everybody to get out of the way and like try and take over the whole thing. There's there's skateboarders know there's a community aspect to that. So if someone looked on a skateboarding and saw someone that was like a total jerk, but they were a skater, that's not fair to the rest of the skaters to say, Oh, so skaters must all be a bunch of idiots and skateboarding itself must be really stupid. That logically makes no sense. And you could do that for any, any scenario as an example. And the church is not an exception. Another reason, not just personal hurt, but is just being butt hurt in general because people are hypocrites. So if you didn't have something happen to you, but you're sitting back looking at church and and you're looking for bad things, you're going to find a lot of bad things. So you see a guy that's on stage preaching like, we don't care about money. You know, we care about the Lord. But then like all he's doing in his life is obsessing over money or he's on stage preaching about love and faithfulness, but he's cheating on his wife, which happens just like it's like every other week. You see another pastor that's cheating on his wife with some chick or whatever. Then you get really mad at that, which is right to be mad at that. But people also will run away from church because they get mad at that. Um, that's just a handful of like big things to try and answer the question that ultimately a lot of the smaller reasons will trickle into that. But if I can repeat myself to to just be very clear, um, again, don't have an opinion about the church. That's not biblical. The Bible expects churches to be full of jacked up people. And the expectation is church leadership is supposed to be caring and loving and teaching the Bible. And if the leadership is not caring and loving and tender and shepherding the flock and teaching the Bible, then they're wrong. And if people in the flock are doing non-Christian things, then they're wrong. But the whole game is you're going to be wrong. Just work through it and get better and love each other and be like a real family. It's just like a real family in life. You're always going to have your crazy, you know, Aunt Debbie that's going to be like, you know, not so when she comes to dinner and is like talking about like the underground homies that are like running the world system under underground and connected by the gas stations and all the stuff and aliens are invading. And you're always going to have like Uncle Rob, who's like a jerk and he's going to come in and be all cranky. And, you know, grandpa's like you're always going to have the, the people that are really crazy and, and annoying and do really stupid, wrong things. But at the end of the day, they're your family. So let's deal with it. Let's walk through it together. That's what the Bible says church is supposed to be, but uh, people don't usually know that that's what the Bible says church is supposed to be. And if you have a relationship with Jesus yourself, you'll be able to work through that. Um, I say all this 
and not to get into the the story of it unless you wanted to, but I say all this from my own experience that even though I grew up for 22 years at a church that I thought was untouchable, it was at 22 years old, six years ago, that I had a complete smack in my face. All of my church leadership turned against my dad, turned against me, abused uh, all of us, things that we said, twisted things, lied against my dad, completely went unbiblical about trying to deal with things. Just this huge division and huge explosion that ultimately split an entire 4,000 person church and just spread everyone abroad. So I've been through uh, some of the worst that the church can throw at you, but I'm a living testimony that I, I kept on going on because I know that God's real. I know that the Bible is true. I know that Jesus loves me. And I'm okay to just like give the church hurt to him and know that being hurt by the church is is no different than being hurt by anyone else. When someone hurts you and you go through things or you see people being wrong or hypocrites about something, you just got to submit it to Jesus. If you have a part to play, play your part. Um, but at the end of the day, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you won't trip out on anything because he's got your back. Hmm. What's the difference, uh, Jairus, between religion and a relationship with Jesus Christ? Prioritization. If religion is the priority, you'll never have a real relationship. But if the relationship is priority, then you'll have real good religion. And the scripture says this. The scripture says, and Jesus himself says, he cares more about a relationship and he wants uh, to be intimately involved with us. Uh, by his spirit and um, I mean over and over and over that God loves us that he loves us that he loves us that we're called his children we're called his friends so the scripture teaches a relational life with God not a religious one Jesus was very in some ways unreligious very against the system anybody that knows Christianity and knows the gospels knows that Jesus never got in fights with um, the secular world, he always got in fights with the religious guys because they were the guys that prioritized religion. And so they became more obsessed with being super cool at their religious things than they were obsessed with God himself. And so they lost the real heart behind it. So if the prioritization is a relationship with God, then my religion in terms of the practical things I do in my life, the spiritual practices that I have in my life, they'll come from a heart of love instead of a heart of religion or uh, logistics. Um, scripture talks about this in the New Testament where, you know, the one writer is kind of rebuking the church and he's like, you guys are being a bunch of idiots. Like if you guys are actually had a real religion, you would be taking care of these orphans and widows in need because you would be coming from a, a heart place, a place of love. And that's only going to happen if you guys have a relationship with Jesus and you're walking with Jesus because he's all about love and it's got to start in your heart, but you guys are, you're, you're losing the opportunity to love people and represent Jesus's love because you're, you're too focused on the religion. So religion is important. Um, religious things and ritualistic things, if you will, spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices. There, there's a lot of biblical things that we do as Christians. We meet together, we sing songs together. We have people that teach. Uh, there's practices of baptism. There's practices of, communion there's practices of oil anointing um, laying on of hands when we pray and 
people raising their hands and getting on their knees, a lot of things that are like physical, religious things. But the scripture says, and Jesus says, I want you to have a relationship with me primarily so that it will affect the actions in your life. Scripture says, let us not love in word or deed, which is the religion, but in action and in truth. So there's clarity on that. Prioritization. It's got to be relationship with him so everything else will flow properly. Cool. Okay. Just getting back into your story. Um, now, uh, you mentioned uh, your porn addiction. Uh, I want you to talk to me a little bit about that because uh, that's, uh, you know, um, a sin and that's a... Uh, if you want to call it a practice or a habit, again, whatever type of words you want to use with that, that is quote unquote secretive, right? Like, you know, some habits, some sins, um, some addictions, uh, they're kind of out there and it's like, okay, that's clearly um, out there in the light. Everybody can see it. I'm doing it. Who cares? But usually porn is something that's very secretive. Uh, it's kind of undercover. We usually don't want anybody knowing that that's something that we're partaking in. When did you kind of start uh, or get exposed to porn? And just walk us through a little bit of being able to, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, break free from that addiction and maybe talk to some people that are, uh, you know, addicted to porn right now. I got hooked on it when my friend came over. I was 11 years old and he told me to type something into the computer and we looked up some stuff together. Um, I got caught and couldn't hang out with him for a little bit got like a punishment and all this stuff and then eventually went back behind the scenes and learned how to hide it and delete it and then was addicted for six years it became a terrible obsession i felt like a i felt nasty like nasty addicted where i was all i could think about i would masturbate all over the place um i'd be at my friend's house uh hanging out i would like stay the night at my friend's house and i would like find a place to go alone for a little bit just to masturbate. I was so addicted to it. It would literally, it was like a drug. Um, I'd be hanging out of my house with a bunch of people downstairs. I'd go up and watch porn and masturbate and then go back downstairs. Um, so I relate to the nasty addiction that it becomes for anyone that has been through it or especially is going through it. I acknowledge that a lot of people go through it. It is um, a more secretive kind of thing it's a little bit more no normalized in the secular world. Like people, secular world just means people that aren't Christians. Like, so people that aren't Christians for the most part, they talk and joke about porn and watching porn. It's a lot more normal um, and not really looked down upon. A lot of people don't even see porn as being a sin or know that the Bible would say that porn is a sin or masturbating might be a sin. Um, so when I stopped to be simple um the things that helped me one uh the things that helped me were, were the mindset stuff kind of what i said earlier about the scripture is very mentally focused not like that's the only thing but there's a lot of mental health related stuff the scripture says that we should set our minds on things that are above instead of things that are below that we uh, should think about things that are pleasing and praiseworthy and noble and pure and and good and excellent um and that we should offer ourselves to god as a living sacrifice like fully devote yourself to god so that uh, you're not conformed to the pattern of the world but you're transformed in the renewing of your mind 
So that's what had to happen to me for porn and for everything. Ultimately, the, our perspective changes, our mindset changes. And it's when we put our minds in the right spots, according to Jesus and being obedient, that he helps us with any addiction and any sin. So I had to learn that for coming off of porn. The pink elephant effect was a huge lesson I learned. Uh, six months of thinking that I was going insane until I learned if you're trying to quit anything, it's not helpful and it's actually very unhelpful to think, don't do this. I can't do this. And if you're doing that all day, all you're doing is thinking about the subject matter. Uh, I have nothing against AA, but I I think it's normal in AA that they, um, I don't know if it is, I, I could be wrong, but like I've heard about people that are in AA and then they'll talk to me about it and say, yeah, I'm on day blankety blank. I'm on day number blankety blank. I don't know if they push that in AA or if it's just my experience talking to people, but counting days um, to try and stop something, you're still thinking about it. You're still kind of giving an option to do it again, but that's not a full send. Uh, and that's not what scripture says. Scripture says it's got to be full surrender. So I had to learn that. Be willing to fully surrender. If, if someone's not willing to fully surrender, it doesn't matter. You could, you could think and like, you could do a, what do you call it? When you like get everyone together and you get some guy to come in and help intervention. You could do like intervention with someone. You could scream till you're blue in the face. It doesn't, no, it doesn't matter. No two snots are going to matter until someone actually wants to surrender everything and is willing to do so. Um, so there's no conversation about getting healthy for any addiction, especially porn, until you're actually willing. And very often people will lie to themselves and think, I am willing, uh, but they're actually not. They, they, they trick themselves into thinking I'm willing, uh, but they still open the door for, for it being an option to do it. Uh, they say, I'm willing, I want to stop watching porn, but they won't read their Bible and pray every day, which is the spiritual food you need to build a spiritual life. So how are you going to fight against a terrible addiction if you're not going to fight on the other end? Uh, so many, and guys and girls, I validate, struggle with this. Increasingly, girls, in addition to guys, masturbation and pornography. Uh, people will say, uh, you know, so many conversations about trying to encourage them to stop and how things that they can do but they don't actually do what's necessary. If you need to take a bat to your laptop, you need to be willing to do that. If you need to switch to a flip phone that cannot look at internet things, you need to do that or get off your phone completely. If you need to delete social media, you need to do that. These are the kind of things that God's spirit will speak to someone that actually tries to seek him out and, and surrender their life to him and ask him uh, what to do. In addition to just good leaders in your life, but God's spirit will speak to you and say like, these are the things you got to do. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. So what Jesus said. It's in the scriptures. So um, being willing to do whatever that is. I had to be willing to do whatever that was. And William Wallace from Braveheart became an inspiration to me. I, I would imagine like you just got to be a just a crazy, uh, what are they, Vikings in that movie? Or what, what is, is that what they I'm are, Vikings? Sure. I'm not for sure. Like Braveheart, like crazy, like go in the battle, get bloody with a big sword and just do whatever the heck you got to do to kill everything in your life. That's going to keep you from purifying yourself with God for any addiction. So I had to do that in my life. Um, and it's equally as important to kill things off and destroy things out of your life as important as it, as it is to add things into your life. Both of them are equally important. So I had to make strict rules and boundaries to get rid of certain things that could lead me down that path. 
like some people complain, complain, complain about watching porn, but then you have your phone with you in the bed at, at night. You're an idiot and you know that you're an idiot. You need to get rid of things and make boundaries in your life if you actually want to give it up. But if you're not doing that, you actually don't care. The ultimate reality is you don't care. You don't actually care more about God. You care more about yourself. But when you're willing, you'll get rid of that. When you're willing, you'll you'll kill social media. You'll get the flip phone. You do whatever the heck you got to do to purify your life and take away things. In addition, though, you got to build up things, uh, especially immediately coming off porn. But the principles still apply to my daily life. I do everything I can to fill my mind with healthy data because, and this kind of relates to all mental health. And I think my, my opinion is that it's in alignment with the tech world that we've grown up in that um, kind of our age millennial all the way down, especially we watch the iPhone come out, but Gen Z's grew up with the iPhone we are in a world that is so bombarded with uh, information that it makes all mental health much more potent, which is why I think more people are going to need therapists or people to professionally help them think through things. Cause we're in a world where young people especially have a whole life of just information in their head. That's all they've ever known is just so much information in your head. So when you're trying to quit an addiction, especially porn, which is, a glowing rectangle. You're watching a glowing rectangle, a phone, a tablet, a laptop, a TV. And you grew up in a world of glowing rectangles that are feeding you information. Any glowing rectangle by definition, if you wake up, you listen to something, you watch something, you're doing one of those two all day long. How are you going to fight against something, especially porn that is specifically connected with tech if you don't cut things out, but also add good things in? So I have to fill my mind with not just a bunch of garbage data, eight hours of social media and video games and just stupid stuff um, or just normal life stuff that I'm just going through normal life, talking to people like I'm processing things all day long. I have to put a bunch of good data in my brain to help offset and fight against that. And that's what the scripture says to fill your mind with these good things and to set your mind on these good things. So that might look like listening to worship music or listening to the Bible app. I'll very often listen to specific kind of music that's, pure and holy and good and puts me in a in a godly good mindset or the bible app itself i'll just open it up and click like a, a book of the bible and just listen to the bible or silence and feeding yourself with silence um it kind of opens up the whole door of what things can i cut away from my life but also what things can i add into my life so i'm i'm filling my mind with good data so that i'm literally building a it's it's like a, like a it's like a diet like a lifestyle. If you're trying to if you're trying to get ripped like an Olympian, you got to think like an Olympian. You got to think like Kobe. You got to think like a Navy SEAL. If you're trying to get yourself to to a pure state of being able to to strongly go through life, Jesus is not going to baby you and coddle you and just give you everything. Like he's not going to suddenly. Sometimes he does graciously, but but by as a rule, not an exception. He's not going to just take away all your issues and make you suddenly like the strongest person ever. Part of the game and part of the process of his glorification in your life is you got to do the hard work to cut things out of your life and add things into your life. So seek out that wisdom from God, from, from the Bible, from good leaders in your life, and do whatever it takes. I had to do this, and I've been doing it for just over ten years. It's been about eleven years now. 
And it's still the things that I learned coming off of porn are still things that I do now. Um, amounts of silence, longer amounts of prayer, um, practical things for self-discipline. Skating is very therapeutic for me. It really helps me put myself in a good mindset, but like, I mean, kind of relates to my anxiety, cold showers and eating good food and drinking water and not just drinking a bunch of soda and eating McDonald's every day. These are all ultimately godly things. Yeah. Like so many young people, man, they'll complain about issues in their life, but they have a terrible diet. You might need to change your diet. In addition, all these things are connected. Like everything in your life is open to purifying yourself. And ultimately it's all connected to the self-control of a pure mind and heart. Mm -hmm. So what can I do to the Christian word would be consecrate myself, uh, which is basically kind of choosing things to cut away and add in order to adjust my life so that I can be like a Navy SEAL, like Mamba mentality, like an Olympian, everything I can do to surrender this to God and then be obedient in that. And it, it can be confusing for someone that doesn't understand, kind of like we were talking about earlier. It's not that you become a Christian and you don't work at all for things it's you become a christian and you work your butt off but through the obedience of you working in practical ways and being obedient to jesus and and doing these things suddenly the spirit of god does a supernatural work he gives you practical things to do and when you step out in faith to do that tangible physical practical thing his holy spirit is obedient and the scripture says there is no excuse Every time you are tempted, there is an opportunity for a way out. It says that in Corinthians. So you got to learn what you can do to to build up, um, to kind of cut away the terrible things, almost like a castle. If you're like building a fortress for yourself, you got to kick out like the sketchy guys and the, and the enemy people, and then you got to build walls around, and then you got to you got to feed the soil, and then you got to build up the places, almost like I don't know, like like RuneScape or something. Like imagine building or uh, Minecraft. Like imagine building. A really good area you got to cut good things out and add good things in so be willing to do that ask god and leaders and the bible for advice to do that and then do that and it really does work it does work if you're doing that in surrender to jesus and you're actually doing it for jesus you can never masturbate or watch porn again uh never smoke crack again never sleep around with someone that's not your spouse again uh never slit your wrists or your legs again or, or anything else like you actually can grow spiritually stronger by the strength that god's spirit can give you but it's only through the obedience that he commands you and jesus says if you love me you'll obey me and keep my commands and that's what he does you have a relationship with him he gives you commands and obedience becomes the test if you're going to be obedient to it and it works i'm an example dude i was savagely addicted to it just terribly and um now that I've done so much work and focusing on Jesus and purifying my life and filling my mind with good things and doing that every day in my life, I'm so much stronger now. I, I rarely think about porn or masturbating um, and the temptations to do things or think things that are not connected to my wife, which is what becomes a sin, are far lesser. And my strength to overcome those and stay focused on good things is far greater. That makes no sense if you actually know me and my weakness. Um, but I know me and my weakness and I'm just a testimony that God can do that. And he can do that with anyone else. Awesome, man. We'll start wrapping up here, Jairus. I know you, you've got some other uh, commitments uh, still today. So um, I want to touch on a couple other things here in closing. Uh, 
why don't you talk to us a little bit about the School of Ministry uh, there uh, that's in connection, I believe, with your, your church, and then talk to us about uh, the Whosoever's. Uh, I'm very familiar with the Whosoever's. I've met Ryan. I've uh, had dinner with him out, uh, I don't know, it's probably right after him and Crystal got married, uh, myself and some other people from uh, the Calvary Chapel in South Dakota, we were out in Southern California for the missions conference. We connect with him, had dinner with him and Crystal, like, it was the year I think they got married. So it was like 10, 11, 12 years ago. Uh, listen, I've heard Ryan uh, preach and teach and things like that at his dad's church. But uh, so talk about the school of ministry, talk about the whosoever's, and then uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up the conversation if you don't mind. Yeah, cool. It's easy. Those are two, um, two main things that I do in my life. Um, pastoring at the church and taking over is kind of like the foundation of my main job. Uh, teaching and taking care of the things logistically here. But one of the things that's ingrained at the church that I also specifically oversee is a school of ministry. It's called Zeal, Zeal School of Ministry. Uh, Zeal.com is a website. It's for young adults. Zealschool.com is a website. Um, it's for young adults ages 18 to 23. Uh, it's a year-long program. They live on campus in houses that are kind of connected to our campus at large. And they have Bible classes, they have life skills classes for practical things, and then they have hands-on discipleship and training and experience in church ministry stuff. So anyone that kind of knows the whosoever's, I've always described it as like, it's the blood of the whosoever's, but in a school of ministry. And it's now officially the school of ministry of the whosoever's. So if you go on their website, on their front page of the whosoever's, you'll see our school down there. We have 10 students uh, that are a part of the class and two students that are from previous class that are RAs for the guys house and the girls house. It's co-ed uh, young people that feel a call to church ministry and want to learn how to actually like do that. And the grit that is involved and some of the things we've talked about, the balance of how to have good perspective and being a good leader. And especially this generation, really everything we've talked about, it's a, uh, it's a whole another world. So I have a heart and a passion to train young people that feel called to do that. Uh, when they come, they can't be in a relationship and they can't work. So they're single young adults that are just devoted to the environment that we've created for them at the church and the community involvement that we encourage them and, and train them and having here in the St. Petersburg area. Um, the Whosoever's is a nonprofit organization from California. It's ultimately connected to the Calvary Chapel movement, the church group movement, um, but it is a nonprofit uh, movement that goes specifically into the young generation world. The whosoever's uh, have a heart to reach young people and inspire them to reflect Christ and culture is how they say it. Um, it's basically uh, a, a, a group of people that are kind of skaters, musicians, and artists, and in that kind of world that are living for Jesus. And we go and we... Uh, we speak at schools, skate parks, juvenile facilities, um, churches as well, and specifically are geared towards encouraging the young generation to live out their calling, to live out their purpose, to be themselves, to be uh, their creative self. And um, anyone that knows the Whosoever's will see multiple ambassadors for the Whosoever's traveling around the world doing these events in order to give the gospel and encouragement inside and outside the church. Uh, but the blood of the whosoever's is the people that founded it are people that come from the music and skate and art world. 
And and uh, this is a question for the listeners. Uh, what is what is like the word whosoever's mean? Like what's kind of the gist behind that name, if you don't mind? That's a good question. One of the founders of the whosoever's had the idea and it ultimately came from a Bible verse. There's different versions of Bible verses for those that don't really understand um, translations. But one of the, uh, I'll say a little bit more old school translations of the Bible, the King James Version. Uh, the most famous Bible verse in the world is John 3.16, and it comes from that. It says that for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that in the King James Version, it says, whosoever believeth in him will not perish, but have eternal life. So one of the founders had that idea, like, hey, it would be cool to have a movement where we could encourage the young people and the culture and the next generation and encourage them that they're whosoever's whosoever believe it comes from the heart that anyone can believe in jesus anyone can live the purpose that god has for them um, and that purpose is found in jesus and to be the man or woman that god's created them to be and you're a whosoever anyone can be a whosoever and that's kind of the heart behind it yeah good stuff man uh i want to kind of leave i, I want to leave everybody uh jarris kind of with this kind of question or kind of give you the opportunity to, to share your, your heart on this. But, uh, I, I know there's a lot of, uh, uh, prodigals out there. I know there's a lot of people that have had, like I mentioned earlier, we discussed earlier, uh, church experiences growing up, uh, on some level, they've, uh, heard about the Bible. They've been taught the Bible. They've heard about God. They've heard about Jesus. Uh, maybe they prayed a prayer when they were, uh, seven years old at a youth group or whatever, right? There's there's a lot of people out there, and I, I know there's going to be people that are going to listen to this conversation, uh, Jairus, that have been exposed to Christianity. They've been exposed to God. They've been exposed to church and the Bible and, and all the things, uh, but uh, they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not walking with God uh, through uh, his spirit. So, if somebody's out there listening to this and uh, God's speaking to them, um, just, you know, from your heart, however God wants to use you to speak to them right now by his Holy Spirit, what what would you like to share with, with those uh, listeners out there? One of the most cliche things, and usually cliche things become cliche because they're true things that are repeated over and over and over and over, and sometimes it can get annoying, so it becomes cliche, is that it really is all about Jesus. And I'm saying that as a kid that grew up in the church and on the skate park. So I got, and in the public school. So I got a taste of uh, the culture of the world and the culture of the church. And I've experienced um, some of the worst that can come from regular world or regular church. Regardless, the silver lining through it all is that Jesus is real. I sought him out myself and I ex have experienced that. And I experienced that on a daily basis. Um, I think a lot of people that, I give two words of encouragement. One is if you did grow up in church and uh, you're trying to run away from God, but maybe you're listening to this and you, you're curious about it or you're fighting it or whatever, whatever your story is. The only thing that matters is that you reach out to Jesus personally. That's the only thing that matters. And so many conversations I have with people that are in that seat of some kind of background religious thing, but not, not really walking with it is like at the end of the day, they're focusing way too much on why something or someone is stupid and they're just not talking to Jesus themselves. Mm -hmm. And especially if you've been in, in exposed to anything 
church, God, Christianity, Bible, Jesus, um, it really doesn't make logical sense. And you have no right to be butthurt about Jesus not being legit unless you have sought him out yourself. Um, and if you're not willing to do that, then you're not, you don't have the right to have an opinion about it. And it mattered. Um, it's just like me. I have, I can't give an opinion about, um, really ballet. I don't really know anything about ballet. So if I say like ballet is stupid, I mean, that's cool. I can say that I'm entitled to my own opinion, but it really doesn't matter. Ballet is always going to be ballet. So it's the same thing with Christianity. Like if you're actually going to try and have an opinion about Christianity, Christianity and think that, um, think that it matters in terms of Christianity, you got to actually give Christianity a shot. And if you're going to give it a shot, the only way to do it is to talk to Jesus himself. You got to reach out to Jesus himself. Don't focus on anything else. Just seek Jesus and seek Jesus so hard, like fully surrender and fully seek Jesus himself and talk to him himself. Um, in addition to that, adding the Bible reading to seeking of Jesus, but just prayer can be just the beginning. Do that until you actually have a clear conscience that you've done enough of seeking out to Jesus that you know that he's not real, he's not legit, and or he hates you, or he's a fake or stupid God or whatever. Whatever's worthy of your opinion to not think he's legit, because it's just not true. Uh, I respect anyone's opinion that is, you know, not for Jesus, but I'll die knowing that Jesus is real and that anyone who earnestly seeks him will find that he is real and loves them and has a purpose for their life and everything will actually become better. <laughs> your purpose and, and everything for your life will, will fit like a puzzle piece when you actually seek him. For those that don't have a church background, my encouragement would not be as much of a jab. I'm jabbing those that have like grown up in the church and they deserve a jab. If, you, if you're going to say you know this stuff, but you're running away from it. Uh, you're tripping on something and, and you're not tripping on Jesus. You're tripping on someone else. Um, or you just don't want to give it up because of your sin. But if you haven't experienced church stuff at all, my encouragement is is much more tender. Is just, hey, listen, God is real. God loves you. He has a plan for your life. He sent his son to die on the cross to pay for your sins. And if you receive forgiveness for your sins and um, and give your life to Jesus, he'll forgive you and he'll give you eternal life. Uh, which is heaven when you die and a purpose for your life until you die, which means he's in charge. It's the best thing ever. It is totally legit. Um, it's totally real. You will feel it tangibly. You'll feel the peace of God and you'll start to see God change your life and change your heart. But I also would like to encourage that just from a logical standpoint, it makes sense that to say there is no meaning in life, there is no truth which is a very like relativism is a big thing in our world to say there is no such thing as truth is a statement of truth. So logically, the only thing that makes sense is there must be one truth. One ball of every answer to every question is two plus two really four. Well, then that that's going to be inside that ball. What's the answer to every question, whether or not we can have the answer, there is an answer to every question about anything about reality. And if you ball all that together, that's truth. Logically, there must be one truth about reality. The question is then, what is that truth? And I believe that the answer is, who is that truth? And Jesus claimed, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am truth. I'm the answer to all your questions. Even if the answer is no answer, you can trust me. He claims to be the answer. So I would encourage you. It logically makes sense that there is one truth and one purpose and the way that the Bible describes everything also makes sense. It answers all the questions I have, and it gives me enough to trust God with when I don't know, uh, like, answers to questions. Um, the Bible presents 
things that we can receive as a Christian that are bigger and more important than the things that we cannot receive. So when I struggle with the things that I don't understand about God, I actually am able to hold on to the things I do understand about God because the things I do understand about God are more important. I do believe that God is real, that he loves me, that he has a plan and I can trust him, even though I don't know why my best friend's brother committed suicide to this day, for example. Uh, so that would be my encouragement. If you have no experience, it makes sense. So give it a shot, like really try and reach out to Jesus and really try and talk to him um, and try and live your life the way that he tells you to, because I think if you do, your life will change. Hmm. All right, Jairus, uh, I just want to say thanks, man, for coming on and uh, sharing your story, your testimony, and uh, just uh, spending uh, some time uh, chopping it up with myself. And again, just kind of sharing your your side, your life uh, with all the listeners. Really appreciate it. Okay. Sure, man. It's an honor. It's great to talk about these things and great what you're doing. I'm just going to do a really quick uh, wrap up here, Jairus, and then I'll, I'll get you out of here. Does that sound good, man? Cool, man. Okay, cool. Uh, all of you who are tuning into another episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say thank you so very much. Um, I would love to connect with you. If you guys want to connect with me, there's a couple places that um, we can connect. Instagram, Curious and Candid Podcast. And then uh, you can always send me an email and reach out uh, through email. That's Curious and Candid Podcast at gmail.com. A huge favor I'd ask of all of you before you guys uh, finish up listening to this episode with Jairus. Uh, please subscribe to Curious and Candid on iTunes and uh, leave us a five-star rating and review. And uh, if you guys are interested in holistic lifestyle coaching, you can check out my website, which is awakentrainingandnutrition.com. Again, thank you uh, to all of you who tuned into another episode of Curious and Candid. I appreciate you. I value you. And we'll catch you guys next time on the next episode of Curious and Candid Podcast.